That's a little bit of a sudden jump uh, into uh, the podcast from an excerpt from Hush by Deep Purple, an astonishing and immortal song. And the cast is entitled Pre-Code, and I want to bring to you some totally new material, as far as I'm concerned, that um, touches on a key, two, two key um key uh, themes that I've tried to uh, to bring out in the uh, the cast and the first theme is the um, the uh, fact that uh, God is speaking often through entirely um, un uh, what do I want to say unpigeonholed unnarrativized uh, unconstrained uh, um, material that fits no obvious narrative and therefore becomes in itself a witness to its own power, and um, also a note that popular culture has not always been a kind of um, implicit or oblique minefield for those of us who are convinced Christians to um, sort of... uh, harvest as best we can um, or fish for um, sort of hints or mediated possibilities, but rather there are some sort of full-on battering rams of Christian material that has simply um, been buried for reasons that uh, actually are fairly clear but are really pretty disguised. You know, the idea of fake news is a tremendous insight. I mean, whatever side you're on, whoever you think is telling fake news, whether it's right or left, um, it is an insight that is new that is actually very strong because you'll find that certain important things... uh, are entirely neglected that maybe later on you find about out about and certain unimportant and even sometimes malign uh, things that you later find out to be such or you later see through are um, wildly overemphasized uh, and you sort of have to shake it all down with uh, experience and with um, sort of uh, really you might almost say the 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 Christian uh, d- discerning between spirits now what in the world am I talking about well there is an expression that is very big in movie critical circles, uh, circles that I've just grown up with since I was a tiny little boy and have been sort of hooked on since uh, a little one, long before a kind of um, a gospel uh, kind of heart came beating into the equation, although not entirely divorced from that. And this is the... um, cliche that there was something called a code that Hollywood did not 
really live under until the sort of mid uh, early 1930s really the mid early mid 1930s when a man named Breen and a whole sort of called the Hayes office a kind of self-censorship department uh, took over in Hollywood after there had been considerable supposed reaction especially among conservative Roman Catholics and conservative Protestants to some fairly racy Hollywood films involving people like uh, Gene Harlow that Wallace Beery that uh, caused a a, a self-censoring but extremely emphatic um, let's cut the sex, let's cut the licentiousness, let's cut any hints of this, that, or the other thing from our movies and be kind of more sweetness and light. And this narrative, there was something called a code, is absolutely written into stone. It's like the auteur theory in which the French supposedly coined that directors are the absolute beginning and the end of the artistic um, um, themes and motivations of a popular work of art like a movie, and which proves to be false because most movies are collaborative with a couple of strong personalities but are collaborative and are usually based on a previously composed um, novel or short story or book or sort of uh, precy. So we've seen that the auteur theory is just a bunch of uh, just an, a nice idea uh, and the um, idea of the code um, you'll periodically here, you know, this movie was made in 1942, and it's hard to believe it because it's after the code was enforced. In other words, it doesn't fit their idea that maybe maybe a movie made in 1940 actually had some reality into it and talked about men and women in a real and discerning and actual uh, way, and uh, that is immediately some kind of huge exception that got by the brain office. Well, I want to talk to you about another code that really does exist, and this is, this is the insight. This is the new thing, das Novum, of what I'm attempting to give today in this material, and I'm really um, quite excited about it. I would say that I want to talk about some movies today that are pre-code, but in an altogether different way. What I have discovered is that there are some Hollywood popular movies done by very celebrated popular artists, the names of which I'll provide under interrogation. Uh, There are a number of movies that deal directly with the Christian faith and the church in a positive light that um, have been completely neglected and literally deleted from the uh, sort of uh, critical eye because of another code. And that is a code that is unspoken, but it is a code that we really see coming alive in the 1970s. I mean, I lived through all this, in which Christianity itself gradually becomes sort of banned from the... uh, from the public square in movies. And so more and more and more you see sort of 60s ideas, countercultural, so-called countercultural ideas taking over and becoming absolutely de rigueur for almost everything. And when you see a good Christian clergyman, it's very much the exception. They're usually regarded as hypocrites and Elmer Gantry types and only in sort of a couple of, you know, like Little Boy or some sort of uh, movie that comes in independently or from Mexico or from the outside do you see a, a positive and insightful portrayal of Christianity as it actually is on the ground when people really grasp it and are redeemed in it and uh, find hope uh, through it. And um, I'm going to say that uh, I'm going to outline today for you um, three movies that um, I had certainly never seen until this week that are 
pre-code in an altogether different sense. They prove that the popular mindset of Hollywood allowed very strongly and very articulately and very directly and explicitly and non-mediatorially and without any obliqueness whatsoever to a um, the um, expression of explicit Christian metamorphoses in human beings. And I'm going to tell you about a couple that I believe are pre-code in the true sense. I myself don't believe that the Hollywood Hayes-Breen code was all that. I think it existed, but I don't think it was anywhere near as uh, fascist as it's described or authoritarian. There are examples. Yes, it existed. But I'm going to say that the, the, the code now in which you cannot really portray, you're not allowed to portray evangelicals, for example, or conservative Roman Catholics as heroes and people of tremendous integrated stature, you're not really allowed to portray that in the mainstream. So we have a new code at work, i.e., um, get thee behind me, evangelical and or traditional Roman Catholic um, um, people and teaching, uh, because we've all understood that uh, you know, somebody said recently that um, Prince Charles in England was quoted, and I'm sure he didn't actually say it, but he was quoted something to the effect of before Bishop Peter Ball, uh, you know, and his abuse of young men, uh, we actually, there was a time when we actually um, respected bishops. Well, there are still many, many wonderful bishops in the Church of England. There are some, a lot of ones I don't particularly think highly of, but they're not many Peter Balls. They're, they come, they are, they exist, and they've been, he was caught. Uh, I, we know all about that. Gosh, I could tell you more than you even know about it, because Mary was particularly present during an early phase of that inquiry, just by sheer chance, um, through another friendship. She saw it right in front of her eyes. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that, that there's a myth abroad that now, that Christians cannot be portrayed because, oh my gosh, they're this or they're that, or they're Paula White, or they're Donald Trump, or they're Jeffress, or Billy Graham, or Franklin Graham, or whatever. And that's that's the new code. Now, I want to talk about uh, three pre-code movies really briefly, and you've got to see them. None of them are on DVD, but they're all available on the internet, either through, um, look them up, these movies, look them up under, and then look at uh, videos. And in two cases, you're going to find a Russian uh, 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 um edition of the original Hollywood movies in two cases, and in one of them you can find, uh, I think it's a, um, it's sort of because it was not um, copyrighted properly, one of them I think is in the public domain, and there are two or three copies of it, but there's only one that's really good, and it says, it'll say HD. Now, these are three movies that were made by top Hollywood production crews on every front, people who are names in every way, and explicitly and powerfully and with overwhelming momentum deal with the gospel of grace on the gospel of forgiveness of sinners and the power of the trans, uh, redemptive word to people in big-time trouble. Now, the first movie is called um, Journey into Light from 1951, and it stars Sterling Hayden, the um, Swedish actress Vivica Lindfors, and Thomas Mitchell, who won an Oscar, as you'll see. You'll recognize him as soon as you see him. And Sterling Hayden, it was an early film. I had never heard of this movie until this week, and I, I talked to somebody who really ought to know. I mean, really ought to know. And even he, who's sort of seen every film that Sterling Hayden ever did and knows all about it, had, even he had, wasn't even sure if he'd heard of this one. This is a movie about a, an Episcopalian uh, clergyman who um, uh, completely and totally loses faith because of a terrible domestic tragedy in his own family. Uh, two back-to-back -back domestic tragedies. And he moves from a rather upscale, upper-middle-class Episcopal 
church in New York to um, somewhere like that or Pennsylvania. It's explicitly the East Coast. He And he's on the move upwards when these terrible things happen. And he loses his faith completely and uh, uh, forswears his collar explicitly to his bishop in person and then um, finds himself eventually on Skid Row in Los Angeles. And the movie is quite well known because a very sort of well-known sort of Robert, whatever his name is, Capra, no, not that's not the right name, but a, a famous photographer was sort of recruited to help um, help with the visuals of the Bowery. And this clergyman, who's not an alcoholic, but he's a totally disillusioned, angry man for all sorts of very understandable reasons, find himself on, finds himself on Skid Row with the lowest of the low, the worst, the most, the most lost of the lost men. And he happens to run into a kind of Salvation Army type mission run by a wonderful clergyman and a, uh, the clergyman's daughter. And uh, he is hot against it. He is remarkably and totally and articulately hostile to God because of what's happened, although no one in the movie except us watching it know what's happened. And the movie tells the story of what happens to him in connection with sort of this kind of Bowery mission with an older clergyman and his adult daughter. And it's sort of a almost like a reverse Guys and Dolls in which a, a, a clergyman uh, re- rediscovers his faith through the power of empathetic grace and comes to be a true clergyman, a true minister of the gospel, rather than simply uh, a showpiece a minister of the gospel wearing very nice clerical clothes and, uh, and handsome and speaking in a beautiful church with an absolutely lovely Episcopalian chancel. Well, this, this movie is unbelievable unbelievable. Never been released on DVD, but you can find it uh, and let's watch it. It it, it is mind-blowing. Journey into Light. And the next movie was made in exactly the same year. And this is a movie entitled The First Legion. And it is a movie that stars Charles Boyer and, uh, oh, about 19 uh, Hollywood uh, actors that you'll recognize, but Charles Boyer is the main one and uh, Leo G. Carroll, and was directed by the very celebrated Hollywood director Douglas Sirk, S-I-R-K. And it's about Jesuits in a Jesuit seminary <laughs> in which um, a, uh, a, 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 with a, a, there's an attending physician who's a layman to, to their, some of them are old and some of them are very young, and it's a thriving sort of place, and there's a lot of banter back and forth about Jesuits and Catholic priests, and extremely articulate picture of Jesuits as they actually are, or were, and in principle still are, and in it, um, a miracle occurs, a bona fide miracle, a physical healing occurs in the seminary that is a little bit iffy, and it's the how, in 1951 the movie was made, this somewhat iffy uh, miracle is processed through a bunch of relationships, especially Especially a a a a permanently um, with a spinal injury paralyzed young woman who hears about this miracle that, as I say, is a little possibly needs to be examined carefully, and it's what she makes of this miracle and what the um, disillusioned formerly Roman Catholic atheist doctor who let, dropped out of Fordham to go to Harvard, how what he makes of it, and most especially with Charles Boyer as a skeptical, deeply faithful, very rational, former attorney, now Jesuit priest, um, discovers both of about everyone in the seminary and himself and finally God. And it is so plus, it is so affirming to a kind of Paula White 
um, uh, I'm all in. Uh, Paula said a wonderful thing in a sermon on Sunday night. She said, you know, we always hear these sermons about get out of the boat, talking about the boat in which Peter was asked by the Lord walking on the waves of the Sea of Galilee to come out on the waves, and he did. And we hear sermons, you know, you got to get out of the boat and walk on the waves. Well, she said something that's very true of her. She said, you know, I I've been out walking on the waves. I'm, I'm out so far that I can't even see the boat. <laughs> she, she's a true uh, exception to, but, but what she talks about, about you, you have to, it's all or nothing when it comes to the gamble of faith, the step of faith. Even if it's a small thing, it's all or nothing on its own terms. And this um, movie is really about the nature of saving, healing faith. It reminded me of Little Boy in a way, but it's a little, in a way, it's better. <laughs> You've got to see The First Legion, a major Hollywood film that I would be very surprised if anyone listening to this cast has ever heard of it because it's pre-code. And the code, you know, you go to these Barnes and Noble and they have all these box sets now, pre-code Hollywood movies. You're supposed to be just so interested in these movies that were sort of able to be free and be hip and be hippie in 1928 before the horrible repressive Christian church came in and destroyed Hollywood's reality. Not so. What's happened now is a different code. You, you, these movies were suppressed. Um, the movie that I mentioned by Sterling Hay- with Sterling Hayden and the movie The First Legion, these movies have been suppressed. I, I say I know it because I feel I do. I've, this has been my, my, my material with music and a few other things for 65 years. And uh, when I found out about that these two had recently been sort of unearthed and shown at UCLA with a very positive uh, um, brief, I looked them up and I, Mary and I watched them. And I, we couldn't believe our eyes. And I'm going to mention one other. This is also suppressed, although not quite as suppressed, but like the other two, has no DVD, has never been released, and you can see it, but you'll have to find it on a, on, look on, on the net, on the internet, and you'll find it when you press video, uh, and it'll be in a Russian, very nice, crisp print of this movie. And this movie is called When in Rome, and it was made in 1953 and was directed by... Oh, somebody! Oh, Clarence Brown, who did about nine really famous movies like National Velvet and The Yearling and a bunch of others. Oscar, a very celebrated, successful, wonderful Hollywood director. And this movie stars um, Van Johnson as a Catholic priest and the wonderful character actor from the 50s and 40s, Paul Douglas, who uh, plays the other main character, and a bunch of other actors, but those are the main ones. And it was directed by Clarence Brown. And When in Rome is about the uh, sort of holy year of 1950, and two men who, um, one a priest and one a layman, who find themselves accidentally in the middle of the great pilgrimage of the year to Rome of 1950, the holy year in which thousands and thousands and thousands of Catholics from all over the world made a special pilgrimage to um, Rome and especially to St. Peter's. And uh, a, 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 a very, one of these men is a, not the priest, the priest is good, but the other man is, is a villain, is a, is a, is a thief, a, a really a, an escaped convict. And they switch by a variety of strange subterfuges that the priest has no role in himself. He is victimized, and uh, his identity is he, he's, he's, his identity is stolen by the thief. And it, uh, the movie details the attempts of the real priest to, redis- to find the, the man who's masquerading as him, and it, in, in the man's masquerade, the convict's masquerade, something very powerful is able to happen in terms of the nature of faith, forgiveness, transformation, and hope, and uh, atonement. And it is an extraordinary 
primarily direct movie about confession, um, uh, absolution, um, uh, atonement, restoration, and uh, the possibility of a new life for even the most hardened offender. And it was made in 1953, and you've never seen it. Now, that's a movie I heard about, about approximately a year and a half ago. And I've been looking, looking, looking for it because it's it's regarded as a good movie um, and uh, impossible to find. But the Russians, you'll, you'll find it. It's there. Oh, what have I said? Three movies. Um, you've I mentioned the first two and then When in Rome from 1953. Now, you're going to say, oh, my gosh, you know, 50s movies. Are you kidding? I mean, I couldn't be less interested. They're, they're so uh, impossible to watch given what we expect now. Well, these are by artists, though. The, these, the, the Sterling Hayden movie, you'll see it very quickly. It has a real dust bowl character. And it takes the 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 the, the uh, abnegation of faith about as far as you can go within the gospel of the forgiveness of sins in the most powerful and realistic way. And it's men and women, too, in a most realistic way. Um, the opening scenes with the Peggy Weber character are astonishingly real, um, depicting something really dreadful, but in a proper way. And then the movie I mentioned about the Jesuits is extraordinarily uplifting about the nature of faith and the nature of healing. I, I want Paul and John to see it. Um, and then the third movie is about the power of repentance, confession, absolution, and finally restitution and remorse to create a new life in a person that is utterly, completely trapped by his past. So these movies are pre-code, and I was so interested because they they didn't exist in my mind before. Well, I'm going to leave it with that, and uh, we're going to... Uh, um, conclude with a little bit of a, an excerpt of a song by Hall Notes that I adore, that, that I have a little bit of a personal connection with. Um, and um, the uh, some things are better left unsaid. Well, um, when people talk about code, the, the code of the 1930s, push back pushback, because that code has long since been uh, been uh, made anachronistic and rubbed out. The code against a movie such as The Three, I'm saying, is much more, in fact, powerful and needs to be, um, that's the code that needs to be repealed, the code against uh, explicit Christianity in mainstream, not demographically cued art. Thank you for listening. Thank you.